Hello, my name is Maiwa and welcome to Maiwa in Conversation, a podcast that aims to explore the unique perspectives of Africans. This season, I have conversations with Nigerians that are making an impact by disrupting societal and cultural norms, fighting against injustices, creating new paths and platforms, and who are showing that there are in fact limitless possibilities on the continent. On this episode, I'm talking to Kilechi Anabara, founder of The Facade Nigeria. Through The Facade Nigeria, Kilechi has created a forum through which to discuss Nigeria's colonial history and the colonial architecture of Lagos. Through social media and a podcast, Kilechi shares information on the rich history of Lagos and the individuals that shaped both the city and the country. The Facade also acts as a digital archive with images of buildings in Lagos taken in the 19th and 20th centuries, as well as pictures taken by Kelechi. These pictures allow Kelechi to document the ever-changing nature of Lagos City. In addition, Kelechi hosts guided tours of Lagos Island, one of the oldest parts of the city, rich with political, cultural and economic history. Thank you for joining me today, Kelechi. Thank you, Maiwa, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I never ask this because... I don't know, I just hate asking people, you know, like what inspired you to start this? But I think when sort of looking at all you've done with the Facade Nigeria and going on your tour, I'm really curious to know how you developed the idea of creating the Facade and what was the journey like from the moment you started thinking about it till now, where it's, you know, you have a podcast, your Instagram account is to me an archive, and you also have the tour of Lagos Island. Well, I would say um, um, the journey has not been easy, actually, uh, but uh, it has been sort of like insightful. It has been um, it has been a lot of like learning a lot of stuff. I mean, I started, um, I did my first tour uh, in 2016. Then I started doing tours properly in 20 from 2017 May 2017. But um, before then, 2014, I November 2014, I used to go around Lagos Island. I say this a lot. I go around Lagos Island taking pictures of the buildings. I had an iPhone 5 then. I just got the phone. Actually, it was the day I got the phone. I think I I went. I think I went to. I think it was that day or the next day. I called. I called up my friend and I was like, "Oh, let's. I'm coming because my friend stay used to stay on the island." And then I was like, "Okay, I'm coming to Lagos Island. Let's meet here and here on Broad Street. I want to like uh, walk around and then take some pictures of some buildings and myself by the buildings and all that." So from 2014, I started taking pictures and all of that of the buildings. But prior to 2014, I would say I started researching in 2009. So where I used to live in Suleri then, a Sada cafe, that's a an internet cafe, just opened sort of like across my street. And then I would go there almost every day after school. I was in junior secondary school then. Mm. And then I would just, you know, I would uh, research on you know, African history, uh, the slave trade, uh, the connection with... Uh, uh, Africans and then the Afro-Caribbeans or the African-Americans, but I hadn't um, found out about like the architecture itself at that point. It was just on a surface level and then political history as well. So um, getting to 2014, uh, 23, before 2014 as well, aside from 2009, in between, I went to King's College mm-hmm. and then um, before King's College, I did an, an entrance examination into St. Gregory's College, but I failed it, but I was quite fascinated with the um, there's a bust of an European uh, Roman Catholic missionary in the grounds of St. Gregory's compound. So that was one of the things that fascinated me. And then there was an older chapel 
where the current uh, chapel is standing, the building was quite intriguing to me and all that. And filling the exam, I was just like, oh, this is just really annoying because I actually really wanted to go to uh, St. Gregory's because of like the buildings itself and then the fact that I was also, uh, uh, I grew up Roman Catholic as well. But um, after then, uh, I had my brother, my senior brother was in uh, King's College. So that was the only option I had. So um, I got into King's College and in my course, in the course of um, um, studying at King's College, uh, after school, I had friends who lived across, uh, around the island, on streets like Bamboche, um, Iboshere, mm. and all of that. And funnily enough, I had one or two, a few of them who had um, Brazilian or Portuguese-like surnames. So I had the Pereira, I had the Pinero, I had the Da Silva. And it was quite interesting because I felt like they were using these surnames, like, you know, brag. You know how people be like, oh, um, you don't have a Yoruba surname, you don't have a an Igbo surname, you don't have maybe an Ibibio surname or that sort of thing. And then what kind of surname is this? What is, what, what, where does the word Pereira originate from? That sort of thing. So um, I thought they were just making, they were just using the names to jest. But um, I did, I hadn't at that point um, clicked then, but after school hours, I would go around with them. Um, I would go to game centers actually, but I think at that point as well, I was just unconsciously connecting with the buildings. I, I thought unconsciously because remembering it, I don't think I had consciously realized that, oh, what is this building? It was only my school building and then St. Gregory's that I was just like, oh, this building is fascinating, it's intriguing. Um, mm. How did these bricks come about? Why? I didn't even know those things as bricks. I didn't know those things as columns, um, the wooden flooring, all these architectural terms, basically. I was just like, oh, why is this building like this? Why is this pillar like this? And all that. Because when I lived in Syria, I was like, oh, the buildings are quite different. So fast forward from then to 2014, I had finished from King's College. So I started going around, taking pictures of these buildings. I hadn't gotten information as much then about these buildings. I was just going around, taking pictures. I would dress up in like, maybe kind of like 70s or 90s kind of like style and then start pose by the buildings and know that then 2015, 2016, uh, 2015 to 20, 2016 to 2017 actually. That was when I think in the course of my research, I realized that, oh, there's a name tag to these buildings. They are not just um, colonial buildings, but it's Afro-Brazilian and then there are a few that are in Saro style as well. Mm. So, and then realizing that um, the buildings are Afro-Brazilian, uh, it was also connecting back with the slave trade era as well. And then even with the names that some of these my mates had in secondary school as well. So post then, I mean, a lot of research, I kept on doing a lot of research aside from taking pictures of these buildings and all. And the cause of it, because I also tell people that for me, information is progressive because to an extent, um, a lot of information on the people from this era, the buildings are sort of like scattered everywhere and all that. So um, it's progressed. Like today, I can find out that oh, um, a particular building was uh, constructed in, um, let's say, 1921. And maybe in a year or even in three years, actually, it has happened a lot of times. In three years, I can find out the original um, document or thereabout that says, oh, the building was constructed between 
1920. It was completed in 1920, but there was just a little sort of like form fair to like the opening of the building in 1921, a year after. So all of this is just information is littered and scattered everywhere, basically. Mm. And then um, 2017, during the tours, in the course of doing my tours as well, I started going deeper into streets like Bamboche, where you have like this proper, where you have the proper uh, family houses of these Afro-Brazilians, the Cardosos, the Veracruz, and the Dohertys, and all of that. And because like Bamboche Street was like the major hub of a lot of family houses of these Afro-Brazilians. Campus Square is where they used to come out in the evenings, chatting in the Portuguese and all of that, you know, playing and doing Easter. That is where they converge after they uh, walk around the Iboshere, Bamboche in their carnival costumes and all, they converge and then to evening or whatever, basically. So I started meeting, coming in contact with these Afro-Brazilians uh, I came in contact with the Brazilian Descendants Union, the president as well, uh, Mr. Martins, Graciano, Ola de Pupo. I met the Veracruz. Um, there was um, a Ferreira, which is different from Pereira. So the Pereira is P, and then there was a Ferreira F. So I met a Ferreira, and then it was quite interesting. So I started meeting all these people, and then I was now exposed to extra information about some of all these individuals and then even the buildings as well. Like at the Veracruz family house now, a descendant's um, wife who I met there showed me um, documents of the purchase of the land wow. where the family house is. So it was quite intriguing. It was quite intriguing. So this period exposed me to extra information aside from doing tours and all of that. And the journey has quite been interesting, actually. It has been, it has been just... It has just been literally interesting, even though there has been um, obstacles here and there, but I would say so far it has been really, really interesting. Mm, that's really interesting. And for listeners that don't live in Lagos or aren't familiar with Lagos, King's College is actually in Lagos Island. So I can see how just being in that environment really yeah. inspired your love of history because you can't go to Lagos Island and not be completely amazed by what mm. you see, just the different architectural styles. Yeah. The, also you can sort of see the different sort of historical periods that buildings were, were designed and, yeah. and built. But why did you focus specifically on architectural history and the history of yeah. colonial era buildings? Sort of like what made you go beyond just wanting to find out more about, um, you spoke about slavery and colonialism and Africans in diaspora. What made you go beyond that and sort of decide to focus on architectural history? Uh, I would say I'm not quite sure if, um, I was quite conscious of what made me um, dive, di divert into that. But I'd say even at that period as well, I was fascinated with like futuristic architecture. It's quite funny because like someone would be like, oh, you were quite interested in futuristic, futuristic architecture. And then you just dive, diverted into like uh, historic architecture, Afro-Brazilian architecture and all that. But um, I, think the, I think one thing that, that sort of like moved me was um, the the um, elegance of these buildings. Um, one thing I tell myself, or I have noticed actually, is that the way we the way buildings were constructed back then uh, during uh, the colonial period is quite different 
actually from the way we construct buildings now. I mean, uh, the designs of the buildings were quite uh, intriguing. Um, a lot of things were taken into details, the history of the building itself, and also the individuals that lived in the building, and also the architects or the uh, masons, like they used to call them the uh, masons basically back then. So it was, I think, the three things uh, the history of the building, the architect, four things actually, uh, the history of the buildings, uh, that's basically like the time frame of the construction of the buildings, or also uh, the era of. Uh, the construction of the buildings, basically uh, the individuals that lived in the buildings, the architects or masons or surveyors, and then also the architectural style, Afro-Brazilian, because Afro-Brazilian style is very, very, um, it's very, very regal and very elegant as well. And I mean, from listening to you, you sound so passionate and I think it's literally infectious and that's why... I, I just knew I had to talk to you yeah. for, for the podcast because I just think as a person who studied history, it's amazing to see a young person so passionate about architectural history because that is so often overlooked. Yeah. And when we look at the architectural history of Lagos and just the history of how Lagos became what it is today, I think that's so important and, yeah. and says so much about who we are. And in all of this, I'm curious to know sort of how you came to learn so much. Were you buying textbooks? Were you sort of doing research online? Were you conducting interviews? Were you going to archives? And I ask this because the moment people know that I studied history, mm-hmm. a lot of the time they start asking me, oh, Maya, how did you find out more about Nigerian history? What should I read? How do I carry out research? So how did you carry out this research? Did you do this while you were at university? Or is this something where you just use your own resources and your own time to find out more about these buildings and Lagos Island? Um, I'll say I, I did, and I still do, I did a lot of research. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you also mentioned if I uh, conducted interview because on different occasions, uh, I've conducted interviews with, so there was a particular day uh, that I, uh, there was a particular day I met with uh, the president of the Brazilian Descendants Union, Mr. Martins. And on that day, he was with another descendant uh, from two families, actually, uh, Borgero da Silva and then um, I think um, Mar- um, Marquis. Yeah, that his, his comes from two sides, Marquis and da Silva. And it was quite interesting because we spoke a lot. They said a lot of things that I was quite intrigued because one of his ancestors was actually one of the masons that to an extent for a period of time did uh, worked on the holy cross uh i think the older holy cross before the current one and that's a uh, lazaro borges da silva uh which was quite i was actually quite impressed so i've conducted uh interviews the veracruz family as well i conducted an interview and uh, a number of other uh families as well that sometimes even um, on social media we connect we talk and then we share I share a lot of information with them they share as well with me and then it's quite interesting how much information that um, both of us uh, uh, open ourselves to and then doing a lot of research I'm always researching uh, finding out a lot of documents as well from um, from um, um, different archives, the British Library, um, their online archives, 
basically uh, the one that is accessible uh, because uh, the British Library is in London basically. During my online research is quite broad because there's a lot that I discover in the course of my research. So the major way I find out information is through uh, online research. A few years ago, I went on your tour of Lagos Island. This is probably what, like three years ago at this point. Yeah. And I think anybody who's driven through Lagos Island, walked through Lagos Island, lives in Lagos Island, works in Lagos Island, can see that a lot of these once beautiful buildings are just, I mean, so badly taken care of. Um, you know, they need some paint, yeah. they need renovations. Yeah. Um, a lot of them now have squatters in them, so they've sort of been completely abandoned. Yeah. And in your experience and through your research, who is to blame? Because that's something I constantly think about. Is it simply that some families have abandoned these buildings and have allowed the buildings to go into disrepair? Mm. Or is, is, is it just a matter of the government not putting enough resources into Lagos Island and maintaining these buildings? Mm. Or is it sort of like a mix of the two? Um, this question you asked, uh, in the course of a lot of my research, meeting families and all of that, and also some professionals as well in the field, I, I have asked this question. And one thing I came to realize was that um, it is from is a combination of uh, a few factors. One, the families. Uh, two, the uh, government. And then I think uh, three, um, three should be uh, the environment itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the families, I would say I was giving an example that um, it's a family house. And when these houses were constructed, uh, they were majorly constructed for nuclear families. It was let's let's use an example now. Um, um, J. H. Doherty. Uh, J. H. Doherty was uh, uh, although he had a number of wives, but he built different houses for them basically. But his particular house, let's just say, it might have been for uh, or let's not use J. H. Doherty. Let's just say somebody else basically, and then a nuclear family. As time went on, uh, the children would definitely have gotten married, had their own children, and um, just one person or one family can live in that particular house, especially with the way some of the houses were constructed. Like I said, it was majorly constructed for nuclear families. And so as time went on, um, the families enlarged and then... Literally, like I said, just one family could stay in. And then over time, you realize that um, maybe the family comes together or one person in the family uh, brings up the uh, opinion of, oh, um, we need to give up this house um, for lease, uh, maybe to a developer or something. And sometimes, one of another reasons why I have come to realize this family sometimes give up these houses for lease or thereabout or for it to be brought down and then redeveloped into like a block of apartment or flat is uh, sometimes there are issues in the family that needs to be resolved and then in a case where um, there are no external helping hands for the families then and then they have one or two of these buildings or even just one building then they are left with no option than to um, give up this building to a developer who for a period of uh, maybe 30 years, 10 years or thereabout. But the thing about it is that even if they are giving up the building, they are giving up the building and then the developer is going to bring it down because there's nobody 
I have not seen a situation or a case where a developer has just maybe um, um, remodeled the building, except it is for a, a, a mixed complex use, maybe for commercial uh, firms or thereabout, like uh, the um, Hebziba House on Iboshire Road. There are different firms um, occupying uh, the building currently. But in other cases, there are a lot of buildings on Bangbosho and Iboshire that are now redeveloped into like block of apartment block, especially as population has increased as well. So for the families, there one one recurring thing I think is probably there is a, maybe there's a financial issue in the family or thereabout, or um, maybe I'm not quite sure. I haven't been in, I haven't um, I haven't been told of that uh, situation, but there might be a possibility. Maybe one or two families may have experienced it of uh, maybe a. Um, the families just want to sell off the building and then maybe like a share of uh, uh, the proceeds from uh, the sale of or lease of the building, basically. Also, for the families as well, I used to, to an extent, then blame... I think there are some families, I would say some, or a few families that um, I would say... I think there might be a few families that might not uh, appreciate... Uh, the uh, value of these buildings but to another extent as well i would say um the environment has not been created by the government to um support or to um give these families sort of like an assurance that uh, if you're giving up this building for tourist purposes turning it into a house museum or uh, a space for a gallery or thereabout then um it's going to maybe making regular money, mm -hmm. sort of that thing, sort of like a revenue uh, that uh, the family and the government can, you know, maybe share or maybe the family can share while the government is supporting. You get to that extent. I don't think these families sort of like foresee it in the long run of, oh, if this building, if this is our family house, is used as a gallery and then we're making this money, uh, how much is it going to equate to how much a developer is going to pay us for a lease of maybe 10 years, 20 or 30 years, maybe at 40, 50, 70, 100 million, depending on. So the families have their own factor. The government as well is not enabling the environment as a tourist hotspot. Because if you look back in Lagos, if you look back at Lagos Island, I used to equate Lagos Island with places like Havana, side by side saying, these two places are similar. These two places... Lagos Island had the potential of being a tourist hotspot. You had a number, let's say, to up to maybe the 80s or 90s, end of, end of 90s, a lot of buildings were still standing. Many of them actually ran down. They were abandoned. I don't know what happened. What, maybe the families forgot about the building or they just didn't see any use of the building at that particular point. And many of them had left the Brazilian quarters, they had left Lagos Island to live in other places in Lagos or outside the country, basically. And mm -hmm. Lagos Island had this environment that could have encouraged tourism. But over time, it just felt like maybe the different governments in Lagos didn't see this, didn't foresee this kind of a, a future or a, a, a enabling environment for tourism for Lagos Island with the buildings. And over time, a lot of families just sold off the buildings, uh, some ran down and then they had to demolish. A few buildings uh, were got by fire as well. Uh, 
the Borgesa Silver House, um, and a number of other houses, basically. So these things are sort of like uh, factors involved. And I think there's a last factor as well, which is, um, um, like I said, the environment itself. The environment itself, um, it's, Lagos Island is now clustered. It is extremely clustered now. Lagos Island then was, there were some places in Lagos Island that were clustered, but from other photos that even not just the, not just the facade Nigeria shares, but there are a number of other maybe individuals that just find photos and they're like, oh, this was Lagos Island then. Now you would see there was a big difference between Lagos Island now or Lagos Island in the past five years than Lagos Island, let's say 30 to 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. The streets which were laid out, there was a whole lot of space. Uh, buildings were not just constructed anyhow there was before you could construct your building there were laws that you had to abide to even your surveyor or your mason in constructing and all of that you couldn't just build getting to the extent of the street and all that and then even the highest buildings you could you had then also were like two three-story buildings as well i feel like the environment now is not sort of like enabling enough even with the few number of buildings that are still standing mm. and then you have also the um street dogs factor as well yes the boys. If, if you make it sort of like if, you, if you're making it a tourist hotspot then um you have to consider it has this to be safe. because it I'm, has to feel safe yes thank you that is basically just because it. even doing the tour with you i guess you're a regular there so i felt kind of safe yeah. but is lagos island a place where i'd just be walking by myself Absolutely not. Yes, you're very, you're definitely right. Most of my tourists always ask me, "Oh, is it safe? What time can we walk?" And then most times, people always choose Sunday, which is quiet. But yes, you sometimes you just see some street dogs. They just come out and you know, just shouting and all of that. Hey, 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 this and that. And then I try to always avoid any sort of situation that would escalate and all that. And I'm just like, you know what? Just settle down, you know, we're just walking around, taking pictures of reading. Okay, um, have this just for you and your guys, basically, mm -hmm. not to create any situation at all. So that's another thing, like you said, is it safe? Mm -hmm. There are some people that have said, oh, that they would have loved to go on a tour, but they, are not, they don't think it's safe for them. So that's just... Mm, and I mean... The fact of the matter is these buildings should be listed. Yeah. The government should have protection. So even, I mean, I can understand that Lagos Island isn't what it was, isn't what it used to be. And yeah. I mean, if my family home was in Lagos Island, I would want to rent it to someone yeah. because I don't want to live there. And I think for many people, apart from the fact that it's congested, like we said before, it's not as safe as it was. Mm -hmm. And there should be a situation where there are certain things about the building that you're just legally not allowed to change. Mm -hmm. Even if you remodel the inside to fit mm -hmm. your purposes, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be allowed to change certain parts of, you know, like the, well, I mean, facade of the building. So just, it's just really... Because it, of what it, you yeah. said, I'm sorry to cut you oh, short. No, 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 go ahead. The federal government has a law but the law is from 19, I think 1999. And one of the interesting, one of the funny or interesting things from that law is that if, like you think, I'm so happy that you said, even if it's just alter the inside and then there's some things you cannot touch. Because in the law, it says that if you alter, I think, exterior parts 
of the building or like some parts of the building on the exterior, then you pay a fine of 500 naira. <laughs> 500 naira, right. less than a pound. And wow. then if you demolish a building, if you demolish a listed building, you would pay a thousand naira as your fine. I mean, in this day and age, then you're basically just saying that anyone can do whatever they want to do. Then let's go to Lagos State. Lagos State also has, Lagos State has laws from 2011. 2011, actually. They have, they have their listed buildings from just Lagos, a number of King's College, um, the High Court, um, um, and a number of other buildings as well in Lagos Island, race course. But the thing is that although their law is quite... I mean, modernize and then to an extent really good because if you alter a part of a listed building without proper permission, then you would pay 500,000 naira. Then if you demolish a building, you would pay a million naira. But these laws are not effective enough. And also because the listed buildings in the Lagos State law are not enough. They don't cover as much buildings as they should cover. When you check listed buildings in different countries, in if you go to if you go to let's use a place like London, and then for the fact that in the in, in England you have counties, you have boroughs, and all of that. Even under just a county or thereabout, the county has a whole lot of listed buildings just for a county. Mm-hmm. But for Lagos states, the entire the list. The list of buildings, I think they should not be more than 30 or 30 or thereabouts. Wow. They should be more than 30 for Lagos State. Because you don't just list buildings that you think are extravagant or maybe maybe somewhere like oh Dr. Namdiazikwe lived. Yes, you list buildings like that, but you also list you list almost every building because of their architectural value. Mm-hmm. All of these buildings were constructed at the same time. Many of them, the same bases constructed them. Herbert McConnell designed a number of buildings. Gladly, three of his buildings are still standing. The one I mentioned, the Hefzibar house, was the one that was remodeled, thankfully, and then is now commercially used, but in very good taste. Another one I found out, I was quite surprised. It was the man who contracted Herbert Macaulay. I think he should still be alive. But I met him in 2017. And then he said he contracted Herbert Macaulay to construct his house in 1937. The building wow. is standing on Catholic Mission Street, not too far from the Holy Cross Cathedral. I was. He told me personally, he said he contracted Herbert Macaulay. And then the third one, Doherty Villa, is still standing on Campus Square. So this is just three out of the numerous buildings that Herbert Macaulay constructed. But if you look at it, I think in the Lagos State law, I'm not sure, but I think it is just the Doherty Villa, if actually Doherty Villa is actually even listed, but it might just be the Doherty Villa from the buildings that Herbert Macaulay designed that is listed in Lagos State law. What happens to the Herzeba house? Not just because it was Herbert Macaulay that, that designed it, mm-hmm. but like I said, the architectural value, the history, you can't find... You, no, you don't that you don't construct building we don't construct buildings like this anymore if you go to other places these are the buildings you list these buildings mm-hmm. and you can make money from the community can make money from this not even you don't even need exactly the communities can make money from this building and then the money the revenue you can make from it can use it even you gather it together or in a support form and then you know um, developing the community in one way or the other mm-hmm. in anything or even maybe hosting 
community uh, gardens or whatever. But many of these buildings that should have been listed, many of them have unknowingly been demolished. If you walk around Lagos Island, it's new, modern buildings. Have you had any experiences with government or organizations that are trying to engage with you and what you do and are trying to um, preserve buildings that are of architectural value? Well, um, there's the Legacy 1995. And then I've always said that um, Legacy, pe people would think, uh, I would say Legacy is doing an amazing job despite the obstacles they face. I would always root for Legacy because if, if you go behind the scenes of um, trying to, um, um, trying to uh, lobby the government to list buildings, or even trying to even talk to families, family members of, you know, keeping their buildings or even give, not, not, let me not use the word giving up, or just um, putting out their buildings for a tourist hotspot or thereabout. It is a lot of work. And then when it now comes to preservation of some of these old buildings, it is tedious work. Mm -hmm. I've read articles of um, preserving buildings in England, in the US, and the communities either raise funds for restoring just one particular building or the communities lobby maybe to the local government or their local assembly or the state assembly or the uh, parliament, the British parliament, uh, that, uh, oh, this particular building is of great architectural value to our community. And then you see a number of people in, in signing these uh, maybe petitions that they're about, they'll say, oh, I grew up around this building um, my my father did this around this building. I grew up working around this building, this and all of that. The building was quite fascinating. And the way you check the history of the building, it is quite remarkable and fascinating. And then there are a lot of there are a lot of organizations that have access to funds, or even if they don't have access to maybe ready funds, they can readily set up maybe um GoFundMe's or donation uh, links, and then the communities and even people far and wide realizing the architectural heritage of these buildings support that is an obstacle for Lagos 1995. They are doing an amazing job, but there are still a lot of obstacles that they face. They are an NGO, definitely, but it is very tedious to preserve or restore. Restoring a building is a different case than when you now come to preserving the building over a period of time. And then if you're preserving a building, let's say for five to ten years, mm -hmm. at the expiration of that, say ten years, you would need to do a number of works on the building again to make sure it is it is um uh, there's a particular word architects uh, use structurally sound. Yes, to make sure it is structurally sound that people can maybe live or if it's a gallery, um, have their workspace in it and all of that. So legacy legacy is the only organization I know that is quite focused on preserving and restoring old buildings, but they need a lot of support. They need a lot of support mm -hmm. from the communities in Lagos and from families as well, and also from people, Nigerians in Nigeria and, and in the diaspora as well. And have you had any support? You know, have you had organizations or even people that are passionate about architectural history? Have you had people sort of reach out to you and say, you know, how can we support or include you in different um, 
different conversations, different events, different forums. Have you had any experience like that? Uh, yes, I have. There was a particular one more, more recently was in 2019, December. It was a symposium uh, which was held at Angels and Muse and it was quite was quite intriguing yes i went yes yes it was quite it was hosted by a kojo and a kemi yes and then um, it was quite intriguing because um people usually think that it is exhausting to keep on talking about oh the architectural value of these buildings but in an environment where we don't preserve these buildings where we don't restore where we don't enlighten or educate the young and the old on the architectural value and then they need to preserve these buildings. The same conversation will keep on going round and round. And especially, like I said, we're in a place like, in an, for an organization like Legacy 1995, where they face a lot of obstacles, financial obstacles as well, in trying to list the building or lobby the government to list the building and then even in not preserving and restoring. Because when, let's say, let's give an example now, if Legacy comes to me and I have my family house in Lagos Island, and they tell me, let's say I'm not quite raved about these old buildings. And they come to me, oh, we want to, we want to help you so that the government lists your building and then we also will preserve and restore it. It is more or less you're giving the family hope that this building would definitely bring in revenue because, I mean, as a tourist hotspot or as a, a gallery space, maybe boutique hotel or thereabouts, as you're telling them that, oh, it will bring in revenue, definitely. But in a case where you're not trying to lobby to the government and then it doesn't work, at that point alone, the family loses hope. That is just, you're even just at the beginning stage. You haven't even got to the stage where you're restoring the building mm -hmm. to maybe lead it to a gallery that would bring revenue for both the gallery and then even the family members of the community as well. So at that stage, they've lost hope. And then other families are like, oh, um, maybe... You know, I mean, like maybe in their um, descendant meetings or maybe community meetings, maybe they will mention it to one other person or thereabouts or other family members because there's a lot of interconnection with Afro-Brazilian descendants. And I love that, basically. And they would see maybe another family is like, oh, they've seen that this didn't work for another family and all that. And then maybe they sold their building and all that, basically. And then they're like, oh, if they not come and meet the next family, they might not or they would definitely not want to give up their building. They might leave it there, even if it's dilapidated, but over time, they would definitely give it out to a developer, basically. So it's, it's, I think there is sort of like a lack of support. Mm -hmm. I'm mentioning over and over again legacy because it is groundwork, it is behind the scenes work that legacy was established to do, restoring and preserving these buildings. That is their major work. And it's just been really, really, really tiring because there's lack of support. Mm. And for me personally, with the facade Nigeria, it's quite there. Sometimes when I, I feel burnt, I feel burnt out because I'm like, oh, um, maybe um, nobody is you know, asking, oh, um, I mean, people always say, oh, we love the work you're doing and all that, but to support because doing a lot of research is quite tasking. I remember when I had to before uh, I think before just right before you graduated and I had to ask you uh, to help me find out about some old maps yes, of yes. Lagos and imagine if you had left or you weren't there or maybe you were still in the US 
I wouldn't have even known that there were those maps in the uh, in the library. So that's the thing. So imagine if you weren't there, and then, or maybe even if I don't have to, even if I don't have to travel, but scanning because even even abroad, there's a lot of work that goes into digitizing old photos mm-hmm. and old mm-hmm. maps. Maps are very taxing. Yes, because they're huge. And scanning it is a lot of work. And then so sometimes when um, archives like this charge maybe for an old photo, 50 pounds per photo to use professional, because uh, for, for South Nigeria, it is on Creative Commons, I would say on Creative Commons way that uh, uh, we share photos and then also information, basically, because these archives have uh, the license to these photos, basically. So it's Creative Commons because... Um, uh, educating and enlightening people about old buildings, about some of all these uh, individuals and Afro-Brazilians. If the facade Nigeria wants to purchase these images to have a digital archive here in Nigeria so that it is not hard for Nigerians to start emailing archives in the UK, in the US, having to wait uh, having to wait days or months mm-hmm. to have maybe materials come to them or having to pay huge amounts of money to access these documents or photographs. There's no support for that here at all. And I mean, that's and that's why at this particular point, it is just Creative Commons that the Facade Nigeria has been using these old photos to, to educate people, mm-hmm. to educate Nigerians and uh, non-Nigerians on the architectural uh, styles and uh, value and the history of these buildings and whatnot. So there's little, there's little to no support. Only one or two private individuals who are in close contact with me that, oh, they're like, oh, you're doing an amazing job. Or when we're just talking and I'm like, oh, I'm working on this project and all that. And then they're like, oh, um, okay, um, do you want me to support? And I'm like, oh, yes, basically. And then that is the only way to an extent that I have seen support. I find it really interesting that you talked about the importance of digitizing um, old photos and archives because mm-hmm. when you digitize and you make them available on the internet, they become available to the world, right? Yeah. But I actually see the facade, your Instagram, as a digital archive of sorts. And I'm, I'm loving that these are popping up, whether it's um, archives that are focused on sort of black African family life in the colonial era or archives focusing on pre-colonial African communities and societies or archives like yours focusing on architectural history. There are just so many popping up and it makes me so happy to see this. But in your opinion, what do you think is the role of these digital archives specifically on Instagram? What do you think is the importance? Sort of what is your your goal with the Facade Instagram? I like that you also mentioned that um, Facade Nigeria's Instagram is sort of like a, a, when you come to it, it's like sort of like a digital archives, but on Instagram, on social media, basically. Because um, the Facade Nigeria's Instagram is basically sort of like just um, um, just intriguing, just in making when if someone comes to the Facade Nigeria's Instagram, the person is intrigued, the person is lost in reading stories about individuals that lived in the 19th century and the early to mid 20th century, uh, the lives they lived, the events that they organized, the, the parties they went to. Because people think, because when I started researching on colonial history, I thought it was just, you know, the buildings, 
and then you know just the surface level of oh this person is an was an Afro Brazilian and then um, he used to live on uh, maybe Do he used to live in Doherty Villa at Campus Square or he used to live in the um, Hebsiba House on the Iboshire Road. But there's a lot more to these individuals and the buildings. Sometimes there were some meetings or some um I would say parties because when these pe these people had birthdays as well. They had birthdays. Events were held at the Glover Memorial Hall, the older structure on Custom Street. Glover Memorial Hall you, and the, the current union bank used to sit on where you had the old customs warehouse. The government and the government leased. The government uh, leased because it was after uh, John H. I think a few years or thereabout after uh, John H. Glover, one of Lagos's old colonial governors, died. That um, um, the community set up a committee. To construct in memoriam of uh, John Holly Glover, they constructed the hall in his memoriam because he was quite. The Lagos people were quite affectionate with him. So apart from that as well, um, they organized balls, they organized um, boat regattas. So a lot of events, a lot of events that we think are even just new to maybe our era, maybe from maybe sixties or even from early two thousands. They've had concerts right from time. They even used to have smoking concerts where the men, you know, they're smoking uh, and all that. They used to have the um, shooting, shooting events, maybe shooting birds and all of that. Polo has been in existence in Lagos since like the early 20th century. It's not just now and all that. Um, horse racing, even though it has been discontinued for like decades and all that. So colonial history is not just that's why the the um the posts the content on the facade Nigeria's Instagram doesn't just cover historical buildings. It's also people. That's why the buildings it, it goes beyond the buildings. Mm -hmm. The buildings are quite the buildings are a focus, but there are individuals that lived in these buildings, they have they had lives, they had businesses, they went to schools, they were teachers, they were um, they were they were apprentices, they were surveyors, a lot of professions, a lot of events and whatnot. So the Fasan Nigeria's Instagram is chronicling all of this in much detail, as much as we have access to, as much as we find, so that when you come, you're not just learning on a surface level, but taking you deeper, that something that maybe if someone did a dissertation on it for their PhD or something, you would see that, oh, this is in-depth research, and then this is not just surface level, like you've actually read about this person's life on earth. Thank you so much for that. I think that's such a beautiful way to end this section because you're absolutely right. I mean, buildings reflect the time. Yeah. They reflect, I suppose, aesthetics. They reflect, in the case of a place like Lagos, the different places people were coming from. But they also reflect people, and people made those buildings. People designed those buildings. Yeah. People lived in those buildings. And I agree, we should absolutely remember those people because all those people, all those black and white photos of, yeah. of people, early Lagosians, those are the people that made this beautiful, <laughs> very mad city. Right, so in this next section, I like to do 
rapid fire questions just so listeners get a sense of who you are outside architectural history outside the facade so i'll just mention two things and you tell me sort of you know what you prefer right so okay. are you ready yeah right so instagram or twitter uh twitter the mainland or the island uh lagos island <laughs> <laughs> government buildings or family homes Hmm. Family homes, family homes. Colonial Portuguese architecture or colonial British architecture? Colonial Portuguese architecture. iPhone or camera? Oh, can I choose both? <laughs> no, that's cheating. <laughs> okay, I'll choose a camera. Lagos Island or Ikoi? Hmm, Lagos Island. <laughs> do you want to watch the film or do you want to read the book? Uh, I would say uh, I would read a book. Tea or coffee? Tea. Residential buildings or commercial? Hmm. Commercial buildings. Gothic architecture or modern architecture? Gothic. Exposed brick or painted over? Exposed brick. City or village? Village. Bungalow or multi-story? Bungalow. And lastly, the history of buildings or the history of people? Oh my God, no way. <laughs> um, I would say uh, history of people, history of people. I mean, that, that's a good answer because I feel like, you know, buildings are a part of the people. Yeah. So, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in this last and final section, okay. I'd like us to discuss the three texts that have shaped the way you think. And I say text because it doesn't have to be a book. It can mm. be a poem. It can be poetry. Oh, well, a poem is poetry. <laughs> it can be a short story. It can be a novel. It can be fiction, nonfiction. Somebody has even said the lyrics to a song. So yes, three texts that have shaped the way you think. Mm. I think this is going to be quite difficult. I might just have one or two, but uh, I would say... Um, there's a particular song, uh, NATO C and then um, NATO C and Asa. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but the lyrics, uh, it's moving over me, it's taking over me. I think it was a song about NATO C song that I think, I don't know if what the person was his friend, he lost his friend or thereabout. And then um, I think during that period, um, I was finishing from King's College. I think that was when I got to know about the song. Mm. And then um, I was going to actually uh, recite it during our valedictory uh, service because uh, one of our classmates had died and it was quite really shocking. So I think that made me, because he was quite an interesting individual. I mean, we played a lot, a very happy soul and all that, and it came as a shock. So I think that the lyrics of the song made me um realize that i don't need to hold back i don't need to hold back on um uh, loving people on loving my friends i don't need to wait to maybe when they die and they'll be like if i wish i loved them better and all of that so i think from that point till now the lyrics of that songs once in a while just keep some um popping up and then i'm reminded that oh i need to like you know actively uh, be in the lives of my friends and then love them basically. Um, a second one, uh, what text? Uh, I would say it's a text. I would say it's it's a book. Um, and the book is um, 
it's possessed by um Olashipo Shashore. Uh, I hope I pronounce his son name wrong. I'm sorry. When I purchased that book, I was quite intrigued at the level of research and all of that. And then I think the book, the information from the book helped me in improving on my research as well. And then also to realize that uh, there is so much I can do uh, in this work with uh, colonial buildings, uh, the lives of Saros and Afro-Brazilians, basically. So um, I think that book made me realize that there's so much I can do. There's so much to uncover. And then um, I can literally, if if someone like Olashu Pasashare went in depth with this particular book, and then that means uh, I can definitely do my own bits, much or little, but definitely my own bits. Uh, a third one. I'll take the Bible because um, um, I think there are some texts that have pulled me through some days. I think there are sometimes, especially with this work that I do, and then when, like I, I said earlier, I mentioned earlier, when I'm burned out, when I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm like, well, I'm not doing this again. Um, I know that because of some obstacles that I face in course of research and all that, I'm just sometimes reminded, reminded, and there's some gospel songs. I can't really pinpoint anyone. I think it would be either by Bethel Music or uh, Elevation Worship or thereabouts, but there are some, lyric, there are some particular lyrics from one or two of these songs and then just reminding me not to grow weary and all of that. And then there's a particular Bible text I can't remember of um, um, in terms of like hope. So it's just sort of like, I mean, like people, people have gone before us, not even in the line of work that we particularly do, but in different spheres of influence as well. And then they've been in this position where we've been, maybe we've been through, maybe it's mental health, it's uh, just um, obstacles faced in your particular this like for me now, maybe obstacles I'm facing now with this research and all that. So I'm just reminded that um, um, some of these things are just the phase and then um, there's so much that the future holds basically and then I should just trust that it will definitely get better, even though this, even though Nigerian government is just yeah, sometimes they want to. <laughs> stress of Nigerian government is really annoying, and like you said, this Lagos is a mad city. But don't worry, we'll 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 we'll, we'll fire them. Don't worry. Still, yeah, still we rise. <laughs> Thank you so so much for joining me. This has been amazing. Talking about history, my favorite thing in the world. So thank you so much. To find out more about Kelechi's work, follow The Facade Nigeria on Instagram and Facebook. You can also listen to his podcast, Conversations with The Facade Nigeria, where he discusses the history of Lagos and the people who built the city. You can find me on Instagram, where I'll be reading and reviewing books at Maya underscore reads. Thank you for listening.